Hey there, welcome to LSAT Demon Daily Digest. I'm Ben Olson, that's Nathan Fox. Together we're the founders of LSATdemon.com and our weekly podcast, Thinking LSAT. Here's what we talked about this week. Hey there, welcome to LSAT Demon Daily. I'm Francesca and I'm here with one of our former Demon students, Veronica. Veronica, how are you doing? I'm good, how are you? Great, thank you. So Veronica, you're here to share a bit of a success story with our listeners. You recently crushed the test. Why don't you tell us where you started, where you ended up? Give us the big picture view. Yeah, so I started studying with the demon in 2021 after doing a little bit of Khan Academy, um, just watching a few videos here and there. Took a cold diagnostic in December, got a 149. Um, continued studying, registered for the June test before I was ready, but still sat for it. I pulled a 161 on that test. After that, I was seeing PTs in the low 170s, and that was my goal score. So I registered for September, had a testing issue, pulled a 162, registered for November, and pulled a 171, which was above my goal. Wow. So that is a massive jump. Congratulations. That's very exciting. I hope you did something to celebrate that. (laughs) Did that feel good to get that score? It did. And honestly, it just felt like a weight off of my shoulders because I had started studying in December, like I said. Um, So it was almost a full year of dealing with the LSAT. And once I pulled that score, I was elated, but also kind of taking Ben and Nathan's advice into consideration, like getting greedy. Um, So who knows? Maybe I'll take the test again someday. Okay. Yeah. Um, That's always what we say. You know, you know the advice, get greedy. If you got yourself to 171, I don't see any reason why you can't push it further, but that's still a massive accomplishment. You should be proud of yourself. A lot of people wonder about study timelines and how long it should take them to study. And like, I'm sure you can attest to this, but it, it looks different for different people. And sometimes it's a longer study journey than you expected it to be at the beginning. What is it that kind of kept you going where you just you really had, you really wanted to break into the 170s or there ever moments where you were frustrated? Yeah, I was pretty frustrated um, from like, I don't know, April to July, August, because I had been PTing anywhere in the 160s, kind of like I would get up to 168 and then I would like regress back to like 161. So it was pretty frustrating. Um, I had to, you know, push myself to keep going. Once I saw a PT in the 170s, that's when I was like, okay, I know I'm capable of scoring where I want. It's just about getting myself in the right mindset and not losing motivation. Yeah, love it. So tell us about what you actually did while you were studying. How did you use the demon? What was your study schedule like? What helped you while you were on the actual grind? Yeah. So back when I was completely clueless about the LSAT, I had the live subscription and I would attend classes. Um, Because I started in December, I was on winter break from school. So I basically had all the time in the world to attend class. Um, That's how I really kind of got the fundamentals down. Uh, I think... April, I went down to premium, I believe. So I didn't have access to the live classes, but I still had access to like more practice tests and the lessons, I believe, uh, which was really helpful. Between September and November, I think I used basic just because I was mainly focused on drilling and making sure I had the fundamentals down. I would definitely recommend starting with live when you're completely clueless, though, because that's really what helped me. So while you were doing self-study, what sorts of things were you doing? What was your study schedule like? How often were you studying? What were you doing that between drills, time sections, practice tests? What was that like? Yeah. So I think people kind of have a tendency to like put themselves on a calendar and like follow very strict rules when it comes to taking practice tests. Like I'm going to take 
this many practice tests before my test day, or I'm going to take this many time sections every week. I kind of just did what I felt like I needed to work on. Um, reading comprehension was always something I struggled with. So I kind of did time sections with reading comp a little bit more often than everything else. I tried to do at least one practice test every week or two, but on days where I just wasn't feeling it, I didn't force myself to do that because I knew that if I wasn't feeling ready for the test, I would take it and then get a score I didn't like. And it would kind of be devastating to me to see that. Towards the end, I did a lot of drilling just to like work on the fundamentals. I think when you get the high score, the high drilling scores in the demon, uh, you tend to see more difficult questions when you drill. Toward the end, in between my September and November test administrations, I purposely went back and took like easier questions just to make sure I had those fundamentals down and to make sure I didn't forget things that I had previously considered easy. Sure. And then you took the test a couple of times. How did, how were your test day experiences? How did those go for you? So the June test was good. Um, I had never taken a test on Law Hub, so I was completely unfamiliar with like the test setup there. I would recommend if you have Law Hub, like maybe a week before the test, get on the platform just so you see what it looks like. Walking into the June test, I had no idea what to expect. And I think that intimidated me a bit. Um, overall, I didn't have any crazy issues in June. I just don't think I was ready to take that test and I probably shouldn't have sat for it. September, I took it in my school's career center and there was someone having an in-person interview right outside the door during my reading comp section. So it was pretty difficult to focus. I think that's part of the reason why I pulled a 162, even though I was seeing higher practice test scores. Um, but November, I had a quiet space, no interruptions. I took the test earlier, which I think helped. Um, had breakfast before, had a cup of coffee, sat down for the test. And I felt like I was completely ready. No interruptions. I think that definitely helped. And it's nice to focus on the mental side of taking the test and doing well on it as well and making sure that like you mentally are completely prepared for what you're about to walk into. Yeah. Say more about that mental piece. What's the mindset like for you? What do you mean by that? So I think it helped that I wasn't forcing myself um, to complete practice tests in between September and November and focused on drilling and time sections because I didn't psych myself out. I was focused looking at the test purely logically, solving the problems exactly how I had learned to solve them. I walked into the test knowing there's nothing on this test that I can't just solve by myself. Instead of looking at the test like, uh, oh, I haven't done a game like this in a while, or I haven't seen like this type of reading comprehension section. Um, it was It was more so just like, I'm prepared. I've been doing this for a year. I think I also went on a walk right before the test. You know, words of self-encouragement helped. I think that's another thing that differentiated my June test, my September test, and then my November test is that I walked into those two first examinations thinking like, well, I don't know what score I'm going to pull. We'll see what happens. November, I was confident. I think that definitely affected my score. Yeah, that cool, calm, collected confidence absolutely is key. And I like what you said about thinking that there's nothing on the test. You obviously haven't seen the stuff on the test before. It's going to be unfamiliar questions, unfamiliar games and passages, but knowing that 
the skills that you've built the whole time that you were studying prepared you to tackle whatever kinds of questions show up. And even if there's one that feels like it's, oh, this seems like a slightly different, I've never seen this type of game before. There are really only so many skills being tested on the LSAT. There are no drastic changes in this test. It's very predictable. Even if you can easily psych yourself out and go, oh, I've never seen something like this before. As long as you remember, this is not going to be that different from all the stuff that I practiced while I was studying. You're going to be totally fine. Yeah. And I wanted to come back to what you're saying about Law Hub as well, about taking the test in Law Hub before, because people ask about that a lot, um, whether they should be taking the practice test in Law Hub to get used to the interface. But my advice would be the same as what you said is, you know, do, keep doing your stuff in the daemon so that you have all like the, the reviewing and the data and all that stuff. But yeah, I agree that taking it once before the test using the actual Law Hub interface, if you're worried about, you know, getting psyched out, if it looks different, that can be helpful. Right. And I definitely think that testing in in the demon um, was super helpful because I also got to see like my scores increase on the homepage. And that was something that like, even if my score didn't necessarily go up, I still felt like it was rewarding to see like the little green dot every single time I took a test. And that's something that you don't get with Law Hub. Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I took the test once in Law Hub before my September test and like I was fine. So, yeah. Exactly. Don't overthink it. Okay. So for anybody who's looking to see a similar, like you did what, 22 point improvement? Solid. Anybody looking to repeat that? Do you have any words of advice for people out there listening? Uh, don't be afraid to take the LSAT again. Even if you've been seeing the same practice test scores for a while, that doesn't mean that you're not going to improve. Don't register for a test unless you've already seen the practice test score that you're looking for. Um, looking to receive, I would not sign up for a test. The only reason I registered for November is because I had seen a 170 something on a practice test. But that doesn't mean that you can't get there, even if you have to wait. You know, I expected my LSAT journey to take from December to June. It took almost a full year, but I ended up achieving my goal score. And it was because I wasn't afraid to take the test again. Yeah, that's great advice. Thanks, Veronica. Good luck in everything coming up in the application cycle. I hope you'll keep us in touch with that. Hello, and welcome to the LSAT Demon Daily. My name is Eric. I am a teacher and tutor with the LSAT Demon. With me is Francesca Civilotti. She's also a teacher and tutor with the Demon. How are you doing today, Francesca? I'm great, Eric. How are you doing? Doing well. So we're talking today because you had a student who recently shared I guess what you might call a bit of study shaming, like someone had told them that they were studying for the LSAT wrong, and it prompted a discussion that we thought was important for listeners to hear. So why don't you tell me what you heard from this student? Yeah, absolutely. I, I thought this was definitely noteworthy because um, I think that it's pretty common to have these ideas of like stuff floating around. It's like, oh, you're going about this the wrong way. But um this was one of my tutoring students uh, who had heard from somebody also studying from the test. They made some comment about formal logic. And my student was like, oh, what's formal logic? And then, you know, his, his study buddy was like, you don't know what formal logic is? And then it was kind of like, I think that, you know, you're going about this the wrong way. You got to know what this is. And my student was kind of just asking me, like, so what is formal logic? Like, what am I missing here? And I was like, man, you're not missing anything. Like, you're, you're doing formal logic. You don't know that you're doing it because you're not calling it that, but you don't need to actually know that to be doing the LSAT right. Yeah. Obviously, the LSAT engages you logically. You 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 have to 
use logic to ace the LSAT. What do you think this other student meant by formal logic? Yeah, when we think about formal logic, we're thinking about things like if P, then Q, not Q, therefore not P, stuff like that. These abstract statements about what must be true. I'm thinking about old philosophy professors that I've had that talk about pink elephants and inferences and contrapositives. That's what comes to mind when I think about formal logic. That's what I think people mean about that. I mean, you can take classes in this. It's a, it's an area of study, formal logic, yeah. but you don't need to know those rules. You don't need to know them in the context of this framework of knowledge in order to know the things that must be true when people use logic in everyday context. And that's kind of the intuitive approach that we're talking about in yeah. LR with the demon, right? Yeah, I think of... I think of it as an just an abstracted way of representing what otherwise makes perfect sense if you just think clearly and read critically. What you said, exactly. like if P then Q, that that is my impression as well of what might be meant by formal logic. There's a lot that probably ends up looking like math equations, which is just not necessary another one that i think a lot of students run into in their lsat prep is a lot of discussion about the contrapositive and various ways of screwing up the contrapositive whether it's a mistaken reversal or a mistaken negation and a lot of that language you just don't need to engage with in order to understand the test because i think what it's important to note that on the lsat even though you should understand what a sufficient condition is and what a necessary condition is. For the most part, answer choices are going to be given to you in a like an English language kind of way. If the flaw on an LSAT question is that it mistakes sufficient for necessary, I would say most of the time, the correct answer is not going to be something that uses those words, sufficient and necessary, but actually presents the flaw in a way that's like, fails to consider the possibility that you know not all elephants are pink or whatever it is it actually uses the the language from the original argument so like you just you don't need to abstract your thinking yeah and i think that that's actually first of all if you're listening to this and you're like mistaken reversal like i have no idea what these people are talking about our whole point is you don't need to know what we're talking about when we're saying this so don't worry about that if that means nothing to you because it kind of is just gibberish and you're capable of understanding the stuff that we're referring to without having that language for it. But also, I think that a big idea from what you're saying there is just you got to understand the language that the LSAT uses, right? For example, sufficient condition. That shows up on the test. You have to know what it means when the test asks you about that. But it's never going to ask you about, you know, identify the mistaken reversal going on here, right? That's the stuff that different segments of the LSAT industry or uh, professors or academics, things like that. That's sort of the language that's overlaying on top of this. And in a sense, it kind of makes me feel like it's a bit of gatekeeping going on, where it's like, let's overcomplicate this. Let's make it so that you need somebody who understands the difference between these things to explain it to you. But you don't need that, right? And it sounds a bit counterintuitive coming from an LSAT teacher, but it's like, this is a lot more simple than what a lot of the prep test companies out there are making you think that it is for sure i think the probably the best analogy i can think of is in music where you don't need to know how to read music 
in order to play music. Whether it's reading music, which is just an abstracted representation of music, or understanding music theory, like you don't need formal education in those things in order to be a kick-ass musician. Yeah. And so to like complain to somebody who is playing music really well, oh, you're doing that wrong because you're like, can't tell me which chord shape you're using or you aren't like reading off of a sheet of music. This doesn't make sense. Like you're playing music either way. And also knowing how to read music doesn't matter if you don't take the time to like read it accurately. Yes. So it's more important to just be careful and engage with the music or with the test in like a common sense deliberate methodical way rather than get hung up on the theory behind it all yeah and i can imagine some people who have really who have been thinking a lot about the lsat that are listening to this going hold on that's not a perfect analogy because maybe you'll play music better when you understand the theory behind it and to that i would say maybe that's true if you're trying to be you know a composer or you know top of the game but the thing is that you don't need to like be able to write lsat questions yourself you you just need to be able to basically identify a couple frequently recurring melodies and, you know, so to speak, play them yourself. And that doesn't require this in-depth understanding of formal logic. And to the person who who said this, I mean, if they happen to be listening, you know, I would say it's not a criticism of this person of that it's saying, oh, you're not using formal logic, you're doing it wrong. Because I'd say that that person has fallen prey to this mindset that's only overcomplicating things for themselves. So compassion to that person out there. <laughs> Yeah, keep things simple for yourself as much as you can. Yeah. Hey there, welcome to the LSAT Demon Daily. I'm Matt Dumont, an LSAT teacher and tutor at the LSAT Demon and 3L at the University of Maryland School of Law. With me is Sarah Chahansky, a master's student in intelligence analysis at Johns Hopkins University and a recent Demon student. How are you doing, Sarah? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm doing Happy great. to be here. I'm happy to be here, too. I'm happy because we're here to talk about um, your journey and uh, uh, your LSAT success, which is so awesome. I'm thrilled uh, that you are willing to come on the show and talk about it. And so I'm going to start off with asking, um, what was your journey? Where did you start from with your cold diagnostic and uh, where did you end up? Well, numerically, um, starting, I started out with a 144. Um, totally in the wheelhouse of what's pretty (laughs) typical of, of people, right? Like a lot of people start in the one forties. Where did you end up? I ended up at a one sixty one, which I was really happy with. It took about nine months to get there. Um, but I was so happy to go up 17 points, 17 points of improvement. And you were a different candidate, you know, one forty four. If you improve, like say a couple of points to one forty six, one forty eight. You might get into some of the schools that are really kind of at the bottom, but with a 161, you're getting into good schools for free potentially. And um, I just want to like highlight how big of a difference that is. So kudos, congratulations to you. Um, did you think about uh, continuing to study and maybe pushing for a couple more points? I did think about that. And if this admission cycle doesn't go as well as I hope, maybe I'll do that. Okay. Um, I did take the LSAT um, when I started my journey um, twice and I 
got 145 both times. So I gotcha. already have those two tests on the record. So I only have like one LSAT left for like the five tests in five years. So I'm just sure. anxious about using that up. But um, I'm not opposed to that. I just need a little break right now because I um, when you're at it for too long, even though you're making progress, it gets a little, um, you know, um, when is this? Am I actually making progress? You start to second gush yourself and question yourself. And um, right now, I'm glad to see that I made the progress. But um, I I just want to take a moment and breathe and just see what happens. Totally. So are you in the application process now then? Um, Because you said you're going to see how this application uh, cycle goes. So. Where, what kind of um, law schools are you looking at? Um, where are you looking? So I live in New Jersey and um, for financial reasons, I kind of want to stay local. Um, I mean, unless there's a great opportunity elsewhere, I'm not Could be. close Could be. to that. Yeah. Yeah. So um, in New Jersey, there's Seton Hall and Rutgers. So I'm definitely going to apply to those schools, um, but also the city's pretty close. So um, yeah. there's New York law, Brooklyn law. Pace. Well, Pace isn't really the city, but nearby. So is Hofstra and um, Cardozo. And maybe Fordham's a reach for me right now, but um, I'm going to apply to Fordham too, just because, you know, that's cool. See what happens. I mean, um, if I remember right, you you might be a little bit under um, Fordham's uh, um, like 50th. I think they're meeting. Yeah, definitely. So my expectations aren't too high, but yeah, but it depends on what your, yeah, it it depends on what your GPA is and, and that kind of stuff too. Um, and a lot of those other schools, you're totally going to be in the wheelhouse for for um, with your 161. And I would expect some awesome uh, scholarships to come your way with those acceptances, which is super, super great. So um, I would love to ask you, you know, like what helped you in your studies? Um, what helped you get from that? Uh, uh, you, you said you took it twice and got a 145 and then you got a 161. That's a huge, huge increase on the official tests. So what helped you? get from the 144 to um, the 161? Well, I guess I'm going to start with my um, whole story because that I can't really answer that question without yeah, starting from please. the beginning. Please do. So um, originally, um, when I was in a part, I was part of a three plus three program. So basically what that is, is when you're applying for undergrad, um, some schools, very few have this, but um, they have a program where like it's three years of whatever your undergraduate major is. And then three years of law school and you get in as um, when you're applying from high school or when you're first applying. And then there's a set amount of requirements. And as long as you meet them by the middle of your third year of undergrad, you can continue with the program. So basically, I had met almost every requirement except for the LSAT score requirement. So I was a little bit um, crushed about that. Um, But at that time, I also didn't realize the LSAT was something you're supposed to study for for a while and work on and improve on. Um, I kind of like I did okay on the SAT in high school, but um, I, I didn't really realize that the LSAT was like seventy five percent of admissions either. So I kind of took um, took my chances, and I kind of learned the hard way that that's not how it works. And I gave up for a while. I got my master's instead. Well, I'm working on it. I'm gonna get it in two weeks. Um, but I decided to go for my master's instead. Thank you very much. And then um, for some time, I really thought um, that going to law school or becoming a lawyer was like that I wasn't capable of it because of that. But then I started to look into um, the process of studying for the LSAT and law school admissions. And it turns out I really hadn't done my research at all. I kind of um, overlooked that part, which is a crucial part, which it was kind of good. Everything happened the way it did because now I'm a lot more prepared. 
Um, but around February, I started picking up studying again just to see like, oh, maybe if I can improve, maybe I should keep at this because this is something I've wanted for a while and sure. kind of my career goal. And um, I started with the demon in February. I found out about it on like a Facebook group. Um, someone just randomly recommended it in a comment. And I figured, oh, let me try it. I tried it um, the, the basic membership first. And then I just um, eventually made my way up to live. And um, I think what the main thing about the demon that helped me was the the mindset, the no BS mindset that Nathan kind of perpetuates. Um, sure. Because when you're studying and especially when it's just you in the room um, and you're only answering to yourself, it's easy to say, oh, I made this mistake because of this or, oh, I really know that I just like wasn't feeling it. But like the LSAT doesn't really care if you weren't feeling it that day or if you were thinking, but you know, but you don't know. The LSAT doesn't care. At the end of the day, you there's four wrong answers and one right answer. And um, no matter what excuse you have in your head for why you got something wrong or right, like you just got to do it and you either got it or you didn't. And it doesn't matter. And if you didn't get it, it doesn't say anything about your character necessarily, which in the past I kind of correlated yep. the two. But um, it was really just Nathan's um, no BS mindset. And also, like, I learned the importance of, like, having a consistent routine with, like, drilling, doing sections, practice tests, blind review, um, and just pinpointing my weak areas and working on them. But it really just started with that mindset. That's awesome. And and I I I love that you're pointing towards, like, the mindset of things. And, and some of the things I just want to kind of draw out is it seems like you were talking about hey, my job here is to understand the question, right? It's it's not about my character. It's not about my intelligence. It's like today, I don't understand this this particular question. Tomorrow, I'm going to understand it. And that's the job of the LSAT, which is so great. Um, I, I just can't agree with that more. Um, and I'm so glad that that uh, came with you because that's also something that you can take with you to law school where you go and read a case and you're like, I don't necessarily understand this concept today. That's not a testament of my character. The testament of my character is that I'm going to understand it tomorrow because that's my job. And that's so great. It's such a valuable lesson to learn from the LSAT that carries over into um, law school. That's so awesome. Uh, okay, so you studied with us for a while. Um, you did some basic, you did some live. Um, what, uh, what demon stuff really helped you, um, you think the most you talked about like some drilling and that kind of stuff, but, um, what's the, the stuff that you like really got those clicks. Um, so we could point some people towards those things. Um, I definitely, the, um, live classes, which I know not everyone is going to be able to, um, afford that or partake in that, but totally. some of the takeaways from the live classes, um, and I guess this applies even if you're not in the live classes, it's just asking questions when you're confused, especially with like the ask button as well. Um, because if you don't ask, like it's not magically going to come to you overnight, even if you hope it does. Right. And um, so at first I was afraid to ask things because I thought like, oh, I should know this or it's a little silly that I don't. And it was really in a class with like Francesca that I realized like, oh, I just kept there was this one time I just kept on asking and she wasn't bothered at all. And she kept explaining till I got it. And it was at that point I realized like I'm really not going to get it unless I start doing that. So I guess just asking questions was a huge thing. So the ask, well, I didn't really use the ask button that much, but I guess for people who don't have live, the ask button is a great feature, but also realizing that um you have to kind of have a plan that you have to stay committed to that's another thing that really solidified um 
Because without the plan, and even also without the, um, the practice test and the blind review, if you're not really doing the practice test, it's really hard to gauge where you are, which at the beginning, I don't think that's as important. But as you're moving along, um, it's good to it check really in shows, here and there, yeah. right? Like to be like, hey, I took my cold diagnostic a while ago. And now, like, where am I? Question mark. It's good to it, it's good to check in with that, I think, you know, um, yes. periodically. I wouldn't recommend it even every week, but like once a month. Yeah, just month, staying maybe? consistent, yeah, totally. making sure it's not all like um, for, well, not, I don't want to say it's not all for fun, but just making sure it's worthwhile what I'm doing. And if I'm not, that's okay. But I guess if I would realize that, I would kind of just modify what I was doing and see where yeah. I was going wrong. Yeah, like what's working? Are you getting results? And those results might be uh, small at first or small at last. Um, as, but as long as you're making some sort of progress, uh, then you can go, okay, this seems to be unlocking things for me. Okay. So you talked about a uh, study routine, you know, like what was your study schedule? How, um, how much did you study a week for instance, or per day, or like what, what was your sort of routine, um, that you regularly adhered to? So what I tried to do from the beginning was, um, an hour a day. Um, and I kind of aimed for that six days a week. Um, and sometimes I stuck to it better than others. But yeah. as I kind of started moving forward in the journey, I kind of tried to make that hour, um, two hours when I had time. And um, towards the middle of my journey, I started to do a practice test um, at, like once a month. And then towards the end, it became like every two weeks just to make sure, like, am I really ready for this? I didn't want to waste my um, my um, attempts because I don't really have that many left because of the beginning of my journey. I just tried to um, do an hour a day, which became two hours a day, which then became, you know, the practice test every every month. Yeah. And of course, you were doing other things while you were studying, you know, getting yes. your master's at uh, uh, this the school that's uh, incidentally right down the street from me at Johns Hopkins um, here in Baltimore, uh, though I understand they have campuses elsewhere as well, yes. um, uh, which is so great. Like you didn't say, hey this is the only thing I'm doing. You carried on with your life and got additional things that are going to help you in your life and in your career um, while also studying, but making it a priority, right? Like like an hour or two a day was enough to make progress. If you said, Hey, this is a really important hour or two a day. I'm going to get some clicks out of this. I'm going to squeeze these berries for their juice. Yes. And I think two of the biggest like revelations from the demon I had was one making worlds, because I guess like you kind of do that and you don't realize what they are. So that mm -hmm. was like a huge major click. Talking and then about worlds and was... logic games, right? We're baking yeah. in the rules. We're solving the system in order. We're doing that work up front in order to answer the questions really quickly, which is absolutely it, you're building the car once. It changes everything. It changes everything. It's so good. OK, awesome. So worlds. Great. Awesome. What else? And then there was this um, one podcast over the summer that discussed um, reading comprehension and how um, when you're reading the sentences, it should be, um, I think, like um, Mario Kart or Super Mario, maybe. I'm not too familiar with the video game, although I know it's pretty iconic. Um, <laughs> yeah. But when you're reading a sentence, if you don't get it, don't wait till like the end of the passage to reread the whole thing. Like if you don't mm. get the sentence reread the sentence there that each sentence was kind of like a check mark at the end of like super mario and like if you don't get that check mark you got to go back and that's what i started doing with reading comp over the summer and it helped me like 
not day, days off during the passages and even though it would have been tempting to do so and you think oh i'm gonna save time and then you end up wasting more time and that was a yeah. really helpful trick too i i'm gonna also double down on the idea that that's a really useful skill to cultivate and like habit to cultivate towards your law school because you're going to be reading so much in law school you know like 500 pages a week type things which Seems crazy, uh, but 1L is hard. Uh, there's a lot of reading there. You're going to be reading for multiple classes every week, a lot of material. And you don't have time to like skim this thing sort of haphazardly and then go back and read it a second time or even a third time in order to get what the meaning is out of this case or this reading or assignment or whatever. And so, again, like going, hey, did I understand what we, they just said? Yes right? No, I need to reread that sentence. Another good habit that you're building during your LSAT studies that absolutely applies to law school and you're setting yourself up for success there as a student, which is just so great. Awesome. So uh, I want to ask, um, do you know where you're looking at schools? Um, what kind of law you want to go into? Like, what's the journey from here? Yeah. So, um, I guess we discussed some of the schools earlier, but as for like law, um, I'm not 100% sure. I'm pretty open. Um, last year, I was working at a law firm for a little bit that focused in ta tax um, resolution and bankruptcy. And okay. I didn't love those too much, but I did <laughs> learn. I did learn a lot from like being a legal assistant. And I like that. Sure. I ended up deciding to focus on my master's full time. Um, so I didn't stick with that position. But um, I I'm thinking... Um, because of my master's, possibly national security um, law, but I know that's like a very competitive and like selective field. So I don't want to like bank on that either, but like that would be great. Um, like um, one of my professors um, that I had um, at Hopkins, Mark Zaid, he did legal issues and intelligence and um, he has his own firm in DC and he's like a whistleblower attorney. And like, oh. if I could do something like he does, I would love to do that. I just right. don't know how feasible, but also, um, I I think doing estates would be cool too, just because um I lost my dad recently and I just saw everything my mom went through and I feel like it would be um pretty cool to help people during that type of time, whether it's probate or um making a will or whatnot. Sort of like helping people plan their retirement, plan their end yeah. of life, that kind of stuff. Yeah, especially because um well my dad ended up passing away early because he had so um sorry. cancer four times. Thank you, I appreciate it. Although um that's not the point here. Um, but sure. anyway, um, I guess that experience kind of taught me um, that's a really tough time in people's lives, no matter like if what role you play. How well in that. prepared you are. Yeah. So um, just to have someone who knows what it's like and that's competent and cares and can take care of things for you that you can trust. So whether you're doing you're doing your arrangements before or after the fact, whether that means enjoying time with your loved ones in the present or being able to cope emotionally after the fact when somebody is gone just um it's one less problem kind of so that's definitely sure. something i'd want to be interested in um maybe if that's not my career maybe even as like pro bono just because of my past history because yeah. um that's something near and dear to my heart yeah no and that makes sense and there's uh opportunities for pro bono things uh in fact it, as you will learn uh um, <laughs> when you get into your legal professionalism class uh pro bono and like volunteer lawyer work is something that the uh the ethics rules encourage strongly um, because they want, of course, attorneys 
yes, we need attorneys to be successful and and make money and pay their bills and and do those kind of things. But it's really part of our duty as public servants to help um, people who can't necessarily afford these services get them um, when they need them. So I'm sure that you will have opportunities to do that if you look for them. Um, Homeland Security seems pretty cool, too. And uh, there's definitely I mean, there's definitely jobs in that kind of stuff, especially in the D.C. market and that kind of thing. Um, and so uh, I I hope that you find that career path. But some advice that was given to me and I, I certainly pass on to you and, and any of the listeners is have an open mind. Right. We I went to school with this idea of being like, I'm going to go be an appellate attorney, whatever that means. And through school, I discovered some things that I really like and some things that I really don't. It sounds like you might not be a bankruptcy attorney in the future, which is that's a good thing to know. Right. Maybe um, that's not the right career path for you, but you might find something that like property law, for instance, that's kind of related to wills, trusts and estates. You might go, that's the thing for me um, and uh, just make that discovery in law school. So being open is super, super awesome. But also having an idea of what's kind of inspiring you to go, also super awesome, because that can point you towards some particular schools that could be, you know, strong in that area, um, uh, uh, have opportunities in that area. And so I, I think the world is your oyster in that respect. New York's probably going to have a lot of stuff towards Homeland mm-hmm. Security, given the UN and the oh um, yes. uh, interests there, the government interests and all that kind of stuff. Super awesome. I'm thrilled. I'm, I can't wait to, to hear where your um, story goes. So I would love to ask you what advice you might have for people that are, you know, just starting out or um, just starting with the demon, um, those kind of things. Uh, any advice that you might have that was successful on your own journey um, towards theirs? Yeah, sure. So um, I guess the biggest thing first is don't give up. And I know that's so, so simple, but um. That's initially kind of what I did, but I ended up re-deciding. Being determined is the biggest thing that you can do in your LSAT journey, because that's what's going to push you to study. That's what's going to push you to improve and see results. So um, just being determined and not letting like little things get to you, because you might not always see your progress. It takes sometimes a while to see. But if you're developing the foundation for something, you're you're maybe not going to see that, but it's going to pay off in the long run. But if you don't spend those that long time in the beginning, you might not see that payoff in the long run. So that's that's one. The second thing is, I guess, um, when things don't go your way, um, that's not necessarily indicative of failure, but um, sometimes it's redirects you for a purpose and you're going to be better off that you are redirected for that purpose. And that might not be the case for everyone, but if you are redirected, my advice would be, um, maybe it's not forever, but like, Maybe there's a reason behind it. So um, I guess be open to whatever happens. And um, my next piece of advice, and I guess probably my last, is um, just trust the process and Nathan's um, no BS attitude and um, all that and the kind of tough love sometimes. It's at first it was a little intimidating. Don't let it intimidate you and kind of just like trust the process because if it was ineffective you guys wouldn't be here if you guys suck we wouldn't be here um but that's clearly not the case it, there's this method clearly clearly produces results but um if you get scared away at the beginning you're not gonna ever see how 
great it can be. And um, it's never to be mean. It's always so that you can improve, but it's not always easy to see that when you're first starting. Totally. So I think um, what, what it sounds like to me is that you're encouraging people to like give it the college try, right? Like, yeah. Like, if at first you don't succeed, try and try again. Yeah. Um, now, uh, that being said, there are some people who are going to start this journey and then go, yeah, this isn't for me. Great. Like, that's a great discovery as well. Or this isn't for me right now, which it seems kind of like that was your journey. Like, this wasn't for me right now. And you went and got your master's and now you're going back to it because you have been drawn back again. And as you said yourself, you feel better set up for success now. Law school is still going to be there five years from now. For anyone who's thinking about this now, you could go, oh, yeah, I could go right now. Or you could go get some work experience or uh, a different degree or dabble in some other area that is interesting to you. Law school is still going to be there if you come back to it later. And I think you've set yourself up for better success because your journey wasn't a straight line. It was a little circuitous. And now you know more what you want to do. You have better skill sets, all those kind of things, which I think is a really valuable um, lesson to take away from your journey from my perspective. So awesome. Uh, I just want to ask the the sort of final question is, is that um, if you have anything else to add, uh, if there's anything you want to uh, um, say that uh, you haven't yet mentioned, um, uh, it's been just so great to have you on the show. Sure. Yeah. So um don't give up, be open and trust the process, which is kind of what I just said, but too long, don't read version. Um, and um, I just wanted to thank everyone at The Demon. I want to thank you, um, Ben, Nathan, Francesca, everybody. Um, everybody's been so great um, in supporting me and just like all the students throughout every step of the process. Um, I would not have been able to do it without you guys. And I say that sincerely. And um just for anyone who is on the fence about using the the demon, I just highly recommend it. I can't recommend it enough. And that's just from my own personal experience, because I went from thinking I'm not capable of going to law school to actually being in a position where I can apply and do Go well. For free. So, um, yeah. Yeah. So I'm very um, I'm so grateful. And that's 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 I just want to make that known. Awesome. Well, I want to thank you for being an awesome student uh, uh, in my class and everyone. Um, we may have helped show you the door, but you walked through it. You're the one who did it, the effort, who spent the time um, getting from point A to point B. And I just want to highlight uh, your accomplishment so much. My fingers are super crossed for uh, uh, all of your acceptances and scholarship offers. Um, please let us know how that turns out. Um, uh, oh, definitely. Our fingers are crossed for you. And I can't wait to talk to you as a colleague and peer in the legal field. It's going to be awesome. We have an email here from Ike, which is uh, short for Isaac. Hi, Ben and Nathan. I'm currently averaging anywhere from minus four to minus two on logical reasoning sections. I'm also finishing with almost three to five minutes of time on every section, every timed section. Do you think I'm going too fast? There's two typos in the last, <laughs> the end of the second sentence and the beginning of the first sentence. Ben's correcting it as he reads, but it's like the answer to your question is just right there, Ike. It's right yeah. there in your writing. Yes, you are going too fast. You wrote ever instead of every, and you spelled two with just T-O, 
Then you put a comma where you're supposed to put a question mark. Let's continue. I know you tell people to slow down and not finish the section, but this just doesn't sit well with me. <laughs> what are you fighting? <laughs> Even in drilling, comma, where I spend as much time as I believe necessary, comma, I still average similar accuracies. I'm adding those comments for you, by the way. Uh, I believe to achieve a minus zero, comma, my problem lies with strictly, my problem lies with, yeah, with strictly, strictly with, with my fund. <laughs> Your problem, Mikey, is that you need to slow the fuck down, man. Just slow down. Yeah. Edit your shit. You got a lot of horsepower, but you're not working hard enough at it. So my problems lie strictly with my fundamentals and not my time. Additionally, I've been with Demon for less than a month, and I may just currently lack the ability to score minus zero in my current state. You've only been here. You haven't even been here a month. Yeah. <laughs> Some people are with us for six months, a year. I'm not saying that's the norm, but you got to put in the work. Please let me know what you think. Comma, I think I look forward to hearing from you. Okay, well, there you put a comma, but you actually want a period. <laughs> yeah. Also, just signed up for the live classes this morning. No period. Run I'm ex so excited to give it a try. Exclamation point, exclamation, exclamation point. Hey, we're excited to have you. Yeah. Um, I hope that as you continue going to classes, you start to really buy into this idea because beliefs are powerful, right? If you believe effective strategies and then follow them, you're going to see results. If you believe ineffective in ineffective strategies, then unfortunately you're just not going to see the results you could. Yeah. I, I would much prefer Ike that you were leaving you say you're averaging anywhere from minus four to minus two on LR sections. That's not an average. That's a range. Um, let's say you're ranging anywhere from minus four to minus two. That means that there's another two to four questions probably that you're getting right, even though you half asked that question. So I, I think let go, Ike, of don't even think about speed. Don't think about going fast. Don't think about getting going slow. Instead, you need to think about solving these questions. And right now you're just you're 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 solving many of them, but you're skimming the surface on many others. And you really can get to minus zero. If you if you take more time, but I mean, this email, which, you know, you clearly just tossed off to a couple of podcasters and, you know, who cares? Like, I understand that you weren't submitting this to court and if there's some typos, I guess you can be excused for that, but fair. But would you ever send this email no. ever? No. Even to some random podcasters? No. No. Which I'm not saying that's like a character deficit of Ike. It's just, I'm just yeah, but people do this all the time. They email the show yeah. and they have no idea that we would never do this in any context, even just ordinary ones. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I will have a typo from time to time, but I'm not going to have multiple typos in the same sentence for throughout the entire thing. I mean, it's just it's, yeah, it's never going to look like that. And that's just a it's just an attentiveness issue. It's just a not quite you're not like respecting the words 
I think you need to respect the words a little bit more maybe when you're working on LSAT logical reasoning. Hey, one thing you were just saying is you said don't focus on the time. And it reminded me of something that we implemented when we created Daemon 2.0. But since it was so long ago, it's almost like we've forgotten about it or realized its significance. And that is the accuracy score. Like it's such a part of the demon, right? But when you're doing a time section, you get two scores. You get your raw score, you get your official score, you get the score you would have gotten on the actual test, how many questions you got right out of the section. But you also get an accuracy score, which is the demon looking at the questions you actually attempted and telling you how many you got right out of those. And everyone, everyone, no matter how far along you are in this journey, can get 100% on the accuracy score. If you attempt only five questions, five questions, but you get all of them right, then you get 100% on your accuracy score. And that's what Ike needs to be focusing on. That's what everyone needs to be focusing on. What was my accuracy score? Did I get 100%, 80%, 70%? Anytime that starts to go low, you know you have a big problem. Right. Well, you're a, the higher your accuracy score is, the better candidate you are for improvement in the future. Because a mm -hmm. high accuracy score indicates that you're taking the time to actually solve these questions and really understand them and really feel good about your answers. Ike, I would vastly prefer a student who does 21 out of 25, leaves four blank at the end. Let's say you don't even guess. I mean, pre preferably you would guess and get some of those right sometimes. But if you if you don't even bubble in a guess, if you just get 21 out of 25, that is a fucking impressive performance on logical reasoning. Yeah. Like that's somebody who actually understands what they're doing. A student who does all 25 questions and gets 22 of them right or 23 of them right really isn't better. I think you're a worse candidate for improvement if you're finishing the section and missing two to four. I think a better candidate for improvement is doing is like running out of time, but getting every question right on the way there. Like you're going to you're just you're going to start to understand, Ike, that. These questions that you're missing, like those are stu you're making stupid mistakes. <laughs> it's not like I mean, you think that that answer was correct or maybe when you review, you think that that answer was like second best or something, but it's not. It's objectively wrong. And the right answer, which is objectively right, was there on the page and you didn't pick it. So every one of those mistakes you made two. every one of those questions that you missed, you made two mistakes. And it's just like that's sloppy work. So part of learning how to do the LSAT is learning how to behave like a lawyer, which is you just don't do sloppy work. You only do high quality work. So you just don't answer a question until you're pretty sure you're getting it right. I want to reemphasize, Ike, that there are questions that you're getting right that you also didn't understand. Like you're getting you're getting lucky on some of the questions that you're getting right. I think a good rule of thumb is for every question you miss, there's probably another one where you got lucky on it. Yeah. And uh, that's OK, but it, you know, the way you're going to get to minus zero <laughs> is you don't miss any. So it's the mistakes you're making. I mean, it's like Ike is at wanting permission to keep going fast. We're never going to grant that. Well, what? You don't get like a refund on the three to five minutes that you didn't spend at the end of the section. Yeah. 
<laughs> it's not like the LSAT's like, oh, okay, so we'll prorate your $210 fee and uh, give you some money back because you finished early. Like you and don't get we'll report anything. it to law schools. <laughs> no, yeah, it doesn't come out in your score. It's not like, I mean, no, you're, you're not, you're not getting anything out of it from finishing early and you're, you're being sloppy. You're, you're missing questions, leaving points on the table. And yeah, there are other questions there that you're not really understanding. So what you're doing is you're shortchanging your own future improvement on the test because you're not getting the click enough. You're not really solving the questions. We got to get to the point where we're going to solve these questions. It's not multiple guess. This email is from Anonymous. Says, hi, Nathan Fox and others. Oh, I'm others. <laughs> You're others. I'm Nathan Fox with an E. Nathan <laughs> is a really hard name for people. I've never met anyone named N-A-T-H-E-N. Um, yeah. I'm a I'm an N-A-T-H-A-N, and so are every other Nathan that I know of. But um it's a it's a super hard name. Man, if I ever try to tell someone who speaks Spanish my name, they're like dead. They have no they got no chance on Nathan. They that's hmm. not a I guess it's like a not a sound that they have or something. There's a name Natan, I think, in Spanish, which is basically the same name. But it's so far from Nathan that they like <laughs> if it's not if you're not used to that name, you you struggle. Anyway. I've been listening to your podcast just recently and started using LSAT Demon Prep exclamation point. I already have noticed a better way to tackle the LR thanks to your initial thinking prompt. You want to talk about that a little bit? I don't know what that's referring to. Your I initial think, thinking prompt? Pretty sure. Like to, oh, the um, prediction mode? Prediction mode. Yeah. Why don't you talk about yeah. prediction mode a little bit? Yeah. And prediction mode, I think this was initially your idea, Nathan, to hide the question and the answer choices. So you can see the passage, but the question and the answer choices are blurred. And until you answer a question about the passage, which is simply uh, what is wrong with the argument or what is proven by the set of facts, because we don't know whether you're going to get an argument or a set of facts. But if you can answer that question or one of those questions, then when you click on the question, it now unblurs. <laughs> The question First it unblurs the question. Yeah. And then one more click unblurs the answer choices. And our lesson there is take more time with that argument. Make sure you're the master of that argument before you start messing around with whatever question they're going to ask you. Like you do your yeah. prep before you go to court. Yeah. You don't know exactly what questions the other side is going to ask. You do all your full preparation. Then you go allow yourself to be questioned. That's the magic of the prediction mode. You can toggle it on and off when you're doing your drilling in the demon. Um, obviously, don't leave it on for all of your prep. But for uh, if you're if you're struggling, if you if you find yourself going too fast and you're like, how do I slow down? You guys keep saying slow down. How do I slow down? Well, the prediction mode is going to give you a couple of prompts there that are going to let you like first analyze the facts or the argument, then start messing with the question. Think about that for a second. Then start looking at the answer choices, which four out of five of them are wrong. Yeah. I mean, it's so ironic to me that Kaplan and Princeton teach this the exact opposite way. Like first read the question. Yeah. Oh, great. So I got a question about an argument I haven't even read yet. <laughs> okay. Good luck. Yeah. Good luck. Yeah. Good luck with that. And you're like seven point improvement guarantee. 
Um, meanwhile, <laughs> you know, like our point is we're going to transform your understanding of the test so that you can make a 27 point ideally improvement. Anyway, anonymous continues. I have decided I will not pay for law school semicolon. I had no idea how much weight the LSAT has on near automatic scholarships exclamation point. Due to this, I have decided to wait yet another year to apply and thus will begin in 2024. I am a am a ugh, I am a beneficiary of GI Bill Chapter 35 and I thought it ran out when it when I was 25, but it is 26. Thank goodness exclamation point. Regardless, I'm taking the January LSAT, but I'm not sure if I should go ahead and apply to some schools parens I qualified for the LSAC fee waiver. So I get to a cycle and can apply to six schools with the LSAC fee waived. Oh, wait a second. To a cycle? Is that how that works? I thought it was just two tests, period. I thought it was just two tests. But if Anonymous is telling us that it's actually to this cycle, and then if you decide not to apply, you can get the fee waiver for the next cycle and get another two tests. I don't know if that's accurate. I don't know if it's accurate either. But if it's true, that's awesome because that's a that's a nice hack there for people who are eligible for the fee waiver. They think maybe they think they only get it twice, but they might actually get it four times. The cycle reset, by the way, is in August. So you could take it two times in the summer and then take it two times in the fall if this is which, true. Which would be good if you're ready. I'd hate for people to right. see the cycle ending and say, oh, I got to use my, use my cycle. And now you're using up your attempts when you're not really because you have a limit of how many it's a three times in one cycle, five times in five cycles attempt seven times lifetime maximum. So you, you don't want to waste those attempts. But these free attempts, that is kind of nice. Yeah. All right. Find out hmm. if that's real. I have no idea if that's real. I'm giving it about a 50 50. OK. OK. So does applying later in the cycle truly exclude my scholarship possibilities? Why don't you go ahead and answer that? Um, sorry, I was reading whether that few everything is true or not. Oh. Um, yeah, it, we don't know for sure exactly how much your scholarship possibilities are going to go down, but they're going to go down. And so just apply early. Yeah. Taking your question literally, I have to answer no. Applying later in the cycle does not exclude your scholarship possibilities. Does it diminish your scholarship possibilities? Hell yeah, it does. So... You want to apply earlier. Then Anonymous yeah. says, does applying to a school twice negatively impact me? You're nodding. It does. <laughs> we got to resolve this fee waiver thing. Oh, because <laughs> otherwise we're just going to be. <laughs> Ben's I'm reading be... <laughs> at the same time as I'm trying to read the listener email. Ben, I'm are you sorry, finding Eric. out inf information about the LSAC fee waiver? Yeah, I am. So I'm on the fee waiver page. There's, of course, tier one and tier two. You remember this, the different fee waiver packages. Which we've heard almost nothing about since they, they announced it. And it doesn't, no students seem to have noticed that there is a difference. But OK, go ahead. So for a tier one, uh, you get the following fees waived. You get two LSATs and it says test dates must fall within the two year fee waiver period. Oh, including okay. one LSAT writing. So I think I think um, anonymous is confused here. I think he or she is thinking of the cycle as the fee waiver period. You get two during the fee waiver period. You don't get two a cycle. Yeah, and yeah. if you apply for the fee waiver again and get a 
accepted or whatever we want to say approved, then you could get two more tests. But I think you're limited to two tests per fee waiver. Yeah. So use those free attempts wisely, but also um, anonymous. You should be thinking about scraping up $210 to take it a third time if necessary. I mean, yes. like, don't I, I hate the idea and I bet it happens a lot, you know, because of the power of like um, defaults and, uh, you know, yeah, well, there's this implicit message that you right. should take it twice. Yep. Or if you get exactly. the tier two fee waiver, you only get one free LSAT. So the message is take it once and that's good <laughs> enough. And that's not good enough. That isn't good enough. Especially if you're getting the fee waiver. Yeah, they That's are the doing sad people. Irony. Yes, that is sad and ironic. They are doing a disservice to people. It's like they think they're being nice there by giving somebody one free attempt. But what about I mean, that doesn't mean they can't pay and take it a second, third, fourth, fifth time. And their competitors are taking it three and four and five times. So that's terrible. And I've seen it happen. You've I'm sure you've seen it happen. We've got fee waiver students who are like, well, I'm a fee waiver applicant, so I'm only going to take it twice. And it's like. <laughs> you're going to end up paying tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars potentially that you don't have to pay because you didn't take the LSAT again. Yeah. OK, does applying to a school twice negatively impact? No. You can apply twice, but it doesn't make sense to do so. So let, let me answer. I just answered the question that Anonymous is asking. They're asking, does my application going in twice to the same school hurt me from the school's perspective? And the answer is no, it doesn't matter. In fact, they probably won't even notice or even care that you applied twice. But I think it does negatively impact Anonymous because when people apply twice, they get sucked into these tempting offers that they wouldn't be sucked into if they just waited and applied once next cycle. I agree. You have to have really, you got to be really strong willed to turn down shitty offers because those shitty offers, they're going to make it look good. I mean, there's it's congratulations. It is your it's such an honor to to offer you this limited precious spot in one of our classes. And I've seen way too many students, you know, that your friends and family are like, well, you can't turn that down. How can you do that? And, it, and it's just hard. It's also a waste of time and money. And not only that, but it's potentially a waste of one of your LSAT attempts because this half-assed plan of like, well, what if I take it now, even though I know I'm not going to do as good as I can. Right. I mean, this announcement, regardless, I'm taking the January LSAT. My my response to that is why? Yeah. I mean, why regardless? Are you ready? Like, are, do your scores indicate that you're ready? Because if the, your scores don't indicate that you're ready, then you shouldn't take the test. So, yeah, I'm worried that this like well, you know, but I might still get a scholarship late in the cycle, so maybe I should give it a shot. Oh, so you can then now take the LSAT before you're ready, <laughs> waste an attempt, apply waste with one a, of your fee waiver attempts, waste too. one of your fee waiver attempts, apply with a half-assed mediocre LSAT late in the cycle, all so that you can like get a bunch of shitty offers, which you might not have the 
will to decline when the time comes. I don't like it. Yep. I also am finishing up slash working on my personal statement. I would like to submit it when I have my final draft. Yeah, we don't do personal statements anymore. Sorry about that. We do have an editor on staff. If you want to pay somebody for help, go to lsatdemon.com or email help at lsatdemon.com and say, hey, I want paid editing services. We we do offer that, but um, we don't do it on our shows anymore. Uh, I had a brain tumor during college, which I am healed, exclamation point which is healed. However, this really impacted not only my academics, but also my viewpoint on life. I took it as a positive part of my life. I also feel like it helps demonstrate how dedicated I am because I only took off the summer. I had the surgery and graduated with a 3.49 in philosophy while working part-time and sometimes full-time. Any, any thoughts there, Ben? Your final GPA is your final GPA. I mean, this could also be interpreted negatively. You didn't take the time adequately to address your situation. You're working. Um, did you need to work? Uh, maybe so. And I, those hours can be used to mitigate your not as high as it could be GPA. But I, I don't. I don't love the story. I just want to remind people that lawyers are driven by facts. Argumentation doesn't do shit unless it is driven by facts. So, you know, you're like, I had a brain tumor and that demonstrates how dedicated I am. I just, that's a hard sell for me. I mean, I'm not saying overcoming the brain tumor isn't potentially good, but my worry about that is that the second you disclose something like that, they're going to go, OK, so this kid got extra time on the LSAT or they're going to go, OK, this guy's got brain issue. I, I just don't I don't like that obstacle itself. I don't know that the three point four nine in philosophy is like such an achievement that it really is telling the story that you think it's telling. I'm also not so sure that being dedicated is a characteristic that is conveyed here or that you want to convey it. So you're saying, look, I got I got back to work right away. Look how dedicated I am. And what matters much more is the work that you did when you got back to work, not that you got back to work quickly. Yeah. If someone said, hey, I had a brain tumor and I had to take a year off of school, but when I came back, I got a 3.95. <laughs> that's like, fuck. I don't care that you took the time off. I think you think that because you quickly got back to school, they're going to applaud you for that and you want to sell that. And that doesn't matter so much. What matters is that you got the work done when you started working again. It's going to be driven primarily by your LSAT and your GPA and your GPA is not that good. Yeah. So, so talking you know, about it more isn't helpful. <laughs> yeah. Like you're drawing more attention to it. I, I, also, the working part time and sometimes full time. I mean. I guess that's a feather in your cap. I mean, I, I, I think it is. But Ben, I've heard make the counter argument before where it's like, well, they might and they might think that that's kind of a lack of judgment. Like, why are yep. you, you know, 
they're going to they're going to wonder whether you're going to also be moonlighting while you're in law school, potentially. Right. Like you didn't get great grades in undergrad. And they're going to look at that and go, oh, you were working and you. OK, well. All right. Like, are you going to do that here as well? I don't know. Mm -hmm. I just. These things are great when you have the numbers. If you have a 4.0 or a 3.9 or a 3.5 and you come in here and you say these things, it's like icing on the cake. But instead now it just becomes like the reason why maybe you didn't do well. And then it becomes a matter of, was this a good decision? Yeah. So he, Anonymous continues, I don't know if this would be a negative thing to write about in my personal statement. Well, I mean, contrast that with a story where you just talk about all of the hard ass work that you did and all of the things that you achieved while you were in the service. I mean, this is a mm -hmm. GI Bill student, right? So this mm -hmm. is you could talk about the training you got and the asses you kicked while you were in the service. And if you talk about that stuff, you start to sound like a killer. But when you start talking about a brain tumor and working part time and finishing up school after your recovery, now you look like another college kid telling me a semi sob story about why your grades aren't good enough. And so I, I would leave that out of the personal statement. I don't I don't know. I suppose yep. if you did this well, it could be brilliant. I mean, it is a brain tumor. That's a pretty power that can be by itself a pretty powerful fact, although <laughs> it's not a selling point, right? Like, hey, attorney A and attorney B, which one do you want to hire? They're equivalent, except for, you know, that one of them had a brain tumor. I mean, why why would that matter in my analysis? <laughs> and if anything, it could hurt. You don't know the repercussions of it. Assuming. <laughs> right. Assuming it's completely healed, then okay, then A and B are the same. So I don't care. It's not like I'm going to say, oh, oh, well, you went through surgery. Okay, well, now <laughs> right. you're going to be a more qualified it's, orator, orator in, in court, right? No, it doesn't make a difference. In LSAT logical reasoning, I would describe this as a two-way answer. You know, yeah. you're on a strengthen question and you see a fact that could strengthen the argument, but that same fact might be spun as a weakener against that argument. And I think that's maybe what the brain tumor is doing here. You know, I think that the, your time in the, in the service, whatever you did, I don't know what branch you were in. I don't know what you did, but I, I I'm sure that that can be spun as an unequivocal strengthener. Like those are good facts for you. You can present facts that are clearly good for you, but I have a brain tumor. I mean, like if I'm, you know, again, I'm law school X and I'm choosing an applicant with a brain tumor and a 3.49 or not a brain tumor and a 3.6. Well, the brain tumor is not going to make me prefer the 3.49. Yep. And even if they're the exact same GPA, I still don't think the brain tumor is going to make me prefer that student. Cause I'm always going to have the devil's advocate on, the, you know, the angel is like, Oh wow, that's amazing. This person overcame such a cool, big obstacle. They're going to be able to be successful in whatever they want. And then the devil over here is like, how do you know that the brain fit? How do you know the brain is actually cured? It's a 3.49. I mean, that's not like a rock star student here. Where's the evidence that you actually have overcome that obstacle? Yeah. And I don't think graduating on time or whatever is really that 
that's not selling that story well enough to justify bringing up the brain tumor in the first place, I don't think. Anonymous continues, I could include it as an addendum or a diversity statement instead, but I want to write a diversity statement regarding I'm a first generation student from a rural area. I think that's a good choice. I don't I don't think the brain tumor diversity statement. I don't like that idea very much. I think you leave the brain tumor out of it. Yep. Okay, one more question. I now work at a law firm in Tennessee. I also worked at a law firm in California. Since I received my letters of recommendation this year, will I need to contact the recommenders to update those letters for the 2023 cycle? Nope. They're no fine. need to do that. Email daily at lsatdemon.com if you'd like to ask us a question or share some LSAT or law school admissions news. Thanks for listening. 